Talking industry, providing the manufacturing community with a voice and connecting industry. The Live Editions, brought to you from the Manufacturing Technology Centre, in partnership with Oinkner, Rittel and ePlan. Okay, well welcome back everyone. Um, for those who are new, welcome to the first time. Um, this session is on robotics and automation and I will explain to you how the session is going to work, if it works as we hope. Um, but before I start, I'd like to draw your attention to a QR code, which is displayed on the main screen and also behind me. And if you want to ask a question, you can use the QR code and follow the instructions and the questions will miraculously appear on my console here. So that's a very good way of asking questions. Um, However, if you just feel more comfortable raising your hand, then my colleague Aaron has a microphone and he will run around at the appointed time and uh, we'll do a mixture of the two types of question. Um, we have four speakers and I'm going to very quickly ask them to introduce themselves, which will be a half minute matter. Um, finishing with the first speaker so that he will then go straight into his presentation. The presentations will be brief, two or three minutes each. We'll have a bit of a panel discussion between the presentations. When we've finished all four presentations, then we'll go into a Q&A involving um, all of our audience as well. So ho hopefully that makes sense. So in reverse order, we have David Dearden, Managing Director of Oikner UK, Stuart Coulton, Marketing Manager of Omron UK, Alan Shepherd, Managing Director of LCA Group, and first, and by no means least, and who has home field advantage, Mike Wilson, who's the Chief Engineer, Automation, um, High value, value Manufacturing Catapult, and Chief Automation Officer here at the MTC. So just very quick introductions, please, gentlemen, starting with you, David. Yeah, hello, everybody. Um, so I'm David Dearden. Been in industrial automation um, for all my career. Um, started as an apprentice. Um, I'm very, very passionate about engineering and automation, and, uh, and I've worked for some of the very, very big players. They're a little bit smaller in Oitner, but um, Schneider Electric and Rocket Automation in, in the past. Um, so I'm really looking forward to today's session. It's going to be good. I hope we've got loads and loads of questions. Um, yeah, that's me. Thank you, Stuart. Thank you, David. Thank you, Andy. I'm Stuart, uh, Marketing Manager for Omron in the UK. Um, I've been in, uh, in the sector now for uh, coming up to 20 years. Um, absolutely passionate about how I can help manufacturers uh, take technology and use it to really drive their businesses forward into the future. So really looking forward to the discussion. Marshall Allen. Good morning, everyone. Um, my name is Alan Shepherd. Uh, I'm the MD of LCA Group. We're a, an SME. Uh, who are effectively a panel builder and installer, so, and we support our customers with installation of automation systems. Um, and I also want to share some of the stories about how we've implemented automation in, in our business. Um, and we've partnered up with um, Rital and ePlan to do that, so I can share those stories uh, later on today. So look forward to your questions. Thank you, Alan. And over to you, Mike. Thank you, Andy. And uh, good morning, everybody. Um, it's, it's always a pleasure to, to sit in front of an audience and, and talk about robots and automation. Um, those that know me know that I'm very passionate about uh, the use of, of robots and automation throughout uh, UK industry. 
Um, and uh, I've been working on it for actually it's over 40 years now, which, uh, which is a little bit scary. But um, uh, many people might think that I'm failing miserably because uh, the UK is not um, adopting automation at the rate uh, that we'd like to see. But that, that, that's really um, what I'm about, is trying to find ways of helping UK industry adopt and successfully use more robot and automation technology. Um, and, and the reasons why I say that is, is we want a successful manufacturing sector. We want successful industries in the UK. Personally, I think they're very important for the future prosperity of our country. And, and without using the right tools, then we're going to struggle to be competitive. Our, our productivity in manufacturing is behind most of our major competitors. And, and as a consequence of that, our manufacturing has not been as successful as we would like um, in general. And, and it has been shrinking over the last 20 years. We've offshored a lot of our manufacturing capability. And, and we really need to find a way of reversing that trend. I, I think it's fundamental that we need to make things in this country. It's not just about finance. It's not just about moving money around. We need to actually make stuff and add value. And to do that, we need a strong manufacturing sector. And, and to be strong, as I said, we need to be competitive. And part of that involves using robots and automation. And, and just to give you a, just put a little bit of a context, we are still the ninth largest manufacturing nation in the world, although we, we are slowly but surely declining. But despite being the ninth largest manufacturer, in terms of robot use, we're actually 24th on the league table. So we're significantly behind the majority of our competitors. Not so much in the automotive sector, because everybody knows the car plants use lots of robots, but generally across industry and particularly within the SMEs. And, and it's largely because within our manufacturing sector, we're not very keen on capital investment. Um, the the all-party parliamentary manufacturing group did a study about, about five or six years ago now, looking at the culture of UK manufacturing, and, and they called the report Making Good. And, and I'm, I'm sure they chose that on purpose. And if I can summarise that report in a couple of sentences, it basically said in the UK that we're very proud that we keep all of our old machines running. Whereas in Germany, they're very proud they bought new ones. And, and that, to me, is one of the key elements of this. It's not just about robots. It's about our, our lack of investment in our manufacturing sector. We need to invest more. We need to buy the latest equipment. And if we can do that, we will have a more competitive, more productive manufacturing sector going forward. And, and right now, and I won't go into lots of detail at the moment, but right now there's a big opportunity. All the changes, all the challenges that have come about over the last few years with Brexit, with COVID, with all the, uh, the issues around the world has impacted supply chains in particular. And people are now seriously looking at bringing manufacturing back into Europe. And we want to make sure that a good chunk of that comes back into the UK. And, and from an automation perspective, we're short of workers. Everybody knows that there is a labour shortage. And the only way of achieving what we currently make and also growing it is to use automation. Use robots and automation for the mundane, repetitive jobs and use the people where their skills can add value. That's great stuff. Thank you very much, Mike. Um, I'd like to just quickly bring in the, uh, the other speakers. And my question is going to be 
for David first and then along the chain. What factor do you think is most important that's held us back in terms of in investing in automation from your experiences? I think the larger organisations are very, they have a very short term view. I think it's a big problem that we do have in this country, especially. Um, the return on investment isn't overnight. And, um, and we've seen a lot of projects either value engineered at the last minute or, um, or canned completely because uh, the perceived return on investment for that automation piece is, is, is too long. So I think, I think as a nation and as industry, we need to get better at that. And also, I think we need to understand the benefits in a lot more detail. I, don't, I really don't think sometimes when you look at the C-suite and uh, senior level managers in a lot of organizations, that they, that they fully appreciate what the automation potentials are within their organization. You know, I was involved in a lot of projects where we were talking to engineers, even about simple things like electrical distribution systems, which you'd think were relatively benign and not particularly interesting. But if you imagine, say, you were making however many million tins of baked beans a day, um, if you could cook those beans at the time that the grid said that the electricity is the cheapest, and your whole infrastructure of your factory is, is tied in not only to the cost of electricity, but also every other, the weather and, and all sorts, you can actually start making some very, very quick return on investment. And unfortunately, we don't seem to be getting that message into industry at the moment. I'm not sure how we're going to do that right now, but I'm very interested again to talk, talk about that today. Okay, well, we're obviously any, any questions that you want to type into the WhatsApp in advance, you're very welcome to do so. Stuart, your comments. You know, uh, I can't disagree with anything David's just said, but you know, for me, the, um, the 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 big challenge facing us with regards to automation adoption is one of um, infrastructure. Um, you know, we, uh, we we consistently lag behind other countries. Germany's already been mentioned as an example, but even we look at economies that we would uh, we would say we're significantly bigger at than, such as the Nordic countries. But then, you know, you compare us to some of the Far Eastern economies; they all have very clearly defined successful infrastructures that facilitate uh, high-level investment and capital equipment. Um, uh, you know, and a, a fantastic example of that here in the UK is our distinct lack of system integration capacity. Now, we have some fantastic SME system integrators that are desperate to get out there in the market and grow, but we need more of them and we need to have a clear national strategy uh, to facilitate that growth and enable it to happen much more quickly. Uh, further to that, you know, to, to echo David's point about the short-term view, I think you know we are we are still in a mindset of everything has to be bought and paid for as a lump sum, and I think there's definitely a massive lack of awareness of some of the financial opportunities that exist uh, for manufacturers to invest in, uh, in 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 larger robotic equipment that take away those mundane repetitive tasks thank you very much well alan uh, it, it will fall to you to have the last word on this and obviously one of the sort of interesting aspects of your position is that you're both a user of automation equipment and a supplier or, or you work with customers who are using automation equipment so you you see both sides of the coin so that might color your view perhaps yeah okay so thanks i mean first of all can't agree with anything disagree with anything that's been said here I would say Stuart's point if you're looking for an SME integrator you know just look me up um, <laughs> we do need to grow I think 
one of our biggest challenges is around culture. I mean, change culture is not something that, you know, we are a fairly small C conservative nature um, country in our business outlook. And I think we really do need to try and embrace the change. Um, I also think there's an opportunity now, like historically, if you asked me what the challenge was, it would have been those kind of barriers to entry. I see we're at an inflection point. Mike talked about it before. You know, there is going to be a bit of onshoring that's going to come back to the UK, and we need to, we need to get that. But also, you're factoring the environmental challenges, fuel costs, things like that. Labour costs in what once was um, low-cost economies is now, you know, the rise of China. You know, costs out there aren't what they used to be. You factor in transport costs. Suddenly, the UK is competitive for manufacturing, and we need to grasp that. So the barriers to entry that I talk about, I think, you know, I used to work in a corporate job about 15 years ago, and they had an integration team that had about 10 software engineers. Now I can go and buy a subscription that integrates two of my systems together for £15 a month. Now, those barriers to entry give us the opportunity as an SME to really leverage automation, whether that's across your IT, your OT, um, parts of your business, and down to the people. And I think... You know, if, if I go back to my original point around culture, I think the UK, you know, historically, we looked at robots as people who walk around on two legs. And, you know, that era is gone. And we need to accept that. And the only way out of that that I see as a kind of an SME is to embrace automation, to apply, you know, my limited capital that I do have. Uh, you know, and we've invested heavily in the last kind of five years at LCA to try and bring forward that. But... It's not, it's not easy. So we just need to be kind of up for it. We've got to change the culture. We've got to change the mindsets and bring our teams along with us. You know, there's a lot of fear out there about what automation might bring to, you know, large businesses and small businesses. Uh, like I said, very, you know, the ECNI business that I, uh, sectors that I work in, very conservative. You know, our, our mechanical colleagues have been way more out there on advanced manufacturing and things like that. And the electrical industries, we're very, we're very conservative in the, in the way that we've done things, the way we've approached design, the way we've approached manufacturing. So it's out there. The barriers are down. We can go for it. We've just got to be up for it. And I think that's where the biggest change will come in kind of business leaders just actually going for it and saying, no, we can do this and we can apply the resources that we do have and uh, we can succeed. It's a self-confidence thing. Thank you very much. Um, this culture thing is quite an interesting one, isn't it? I mean, I mean, what do we need to do to change a culture towards more automation? Um, is the fear of automation and the loss of jobs part of that? Um, are we losing the wrong types of employment and um, and and have an overcapacity in other areas? I mean, Mike, what what do you feel about the cultural side? Um. I think culture is is important, and I think it tends to drive the way that we approach all sorts of things in terms of return on investment, risk taking, uh, willingness to try new things, and 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 as Alan said, we we are conservative with a small c, um, but I th I do think there are that's probably changing. So what we're getting now is new entrants to the workforce, and and the 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 guys that are coming out of school, out of college and so on, were brought up with technologies that certainly people like me weren't. You know, when I was young, we didn't have mobile phones and we didn't have laptops and, and so on. Um, whereas the children today, that, 
to them is just normal. And they, they expect that kind of technology in their home life, but also in their working life. And I think that will make it easier for some of these technologies to be accepted. I think the other thing that's also happening is that the technology is, is actually becoming easier to apply and easier to use, which, which again, makes it, makes it simpler. Um, so I, maybe the barrier at the moment is, is maybe it's the middle managers, the chief executives, the owners of businesses. I don't think it's actually the workforce. It's the people that make the decisions. Um, and that's because they're not used to these kind of technologies. Maybe they're a little bit afraid of it. And, and I think what we need to see is, is them to give the opportunity to some of their younger generations to actually uh, try things out, to implement things, and, and try and make improvements to their manufacturing environment. What do we need to do regarding training? You know, I, I mean, because if we've got a more prosperous automated society, should be possible to train people to have more of a participation in that than just sorting baked beans or whatever they, they have done in the past. No, no certainly. I mean, to, to me, it is all about, as I, I mentioned earlier, it's about using the workforce where their skills are going to add value. And, and you can't just hire people and expect them to do a job. You have to provide some kind of training for them to do that. We, we do face challenges in terms of skills. And, and certainly sort of applications like welding, painting, some of the more skilled processes, it's actually very difficult to get people now because we, not, we haven't trained the apprentices that we needed to. So we need to use automation to address some of those challenges. But the really sort of the more mundane jobs, we should be looking at automating those and using the opportunity to then upskill the, the workforce. Um, and it's, it's not so much the, the people that are coming through the school system, because I don't see them as a challenge. It's more the people that are in the workforce today that, that need the upskilling. And, and I think the challenge there is not that they can't be trained, it's just that the courses are not necessarily designed to be accessible. Most, particularly SMEs, can't afford to release somebody for a whole year to go away and learn something. They can't afford to, to release somebody for a couple of weeks to go away and learn something. They're, they're too important to their business. So maybe we need to look at the way we deliver some of this skills training, some of this upskilling to make it more accessible. It becomes maybe a bit more online. Maybe it's half a day a week. Some, something like that that makes it more um, easy for the SMEs to release people to, to actually go on those upskilling courses. Excellent. Just, just what put, put in there. Yes, of course. Yeah. As an SME, you're right, it is difficult to release people to training. It's expensive. You know, you might look at it and say, you know, as a big corporate customer, a five grand training course, that's a lot of money to us. Um, so we, we need to kind of make this bite size. We need to do some blended approach. We need to release people, you know, like you say, whether it's half a day a week, whether it's day release. And I, I also am I'm a big believer in, you know, I've talked a lot about culture before and change culture and bringing people along the process. I actually think you know, a barrier is that, oh my goodness, it's a year-long course. How do I, am I going to do that? I, you know, I haven't done any education for like 10 years. That's scary to people. So if we can say, look, it's half a day a week, you know, it's going to be some on-the-job training, it's going to be some blended stuff. It's much more bite-sized, it's much more manageable. And, that, and actually, you know, talking around the strategy, our, our sort of talent strategy, people strategy that we have is, is, is more about, you know, upskilling and it's not about the big steps. So I'll take five small steps every day of the week if we can just upskill people gradually, 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 
that is going to bring the benefits, the return on investment that, 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 that we need as a kind of as an SME. Because like you said, I, I can't give someone up for a year because that's, you know, that's 5% of my, my manufacturing staff. I think it's very noisy out there, though. I think there's a lot, there's a lot of distractions. When you look at, you know, we had this whole industry 4.0, factory of the future. The, and you imagine, you're, you know, you're, you're sitting around your, with your board of directors looking at a strategy for a business. And I'm not sure, you know, we're in, the, we're in this industry and we know the technology very, very well. I try and put myself in the seat of that CEO or that chief technology officer that maybe isn't fully aware of factory automation systems. And all they're getting from every manufacturer or from every government department, you've got to invest, you've got to invest, there's grants for investing. But I think, truthfully, a lot of them don't know where to spend it, even if they've got the money. So I think we, there needs to be better synergy. I think we need to be able to get a uniform message out there and actually where that help can be found. I mean, I'm involved extensively in training and it's scary how many engineers are not aware of the legal requirements of the businesses and we're talking about big businesses that you will see products on your on your tables at home and their their senior engineering team aren't aware of the legislation and what they have to do and, can, you, and, can you include a few examples of that well I, i'm not going to name any names of course. no no i don't mean but, the companies i mean the technologies that perfectly you know when we talk about the provision and use of work equipment regulations the original set of legislation came into force at the very beginning of the 90s there were some amendments made in 98 and and there are a lot of organizations and you go and talk to them and say are you aware of the pure regulations and what have you done about it and there's a blank face and these are big organizations but they have a, a legal responsibility. And if you, if you genuinely go onto the Health and Safety Executive's website, just look in public prosecutions, and look at how many people are getting prosecuted for not fixing a CE mark or a UKCA mark to the machine, there's probably about 10 in the last 10 years. If you look at who's been prosecuted under Regulation 11 of the Pure Regs, which is regulation safeguarding system, so your physical guarding, they, they, there's hundreds and hundreds with one and a half million pound fines. You know, organisations, very big chocolate organisations that have a fantastic safety record, but they've just been fined 700, it's in the public domain, so I'm not saying anything, but they've just <laughs> been fined £750,000 because someone called through some, some, some guarding. Um, you know, but where do they get the education from? Because they're in industry, and as far as they're concerned, you know, the operators, every time they put their hand in that power press, it's going to stop. The engineers, they should know better, but where do the engineers get their, their information? Where should they get their information? Well, you know, we used to have a health and safety commission in the UK, and that's been disbanded now and, and, and then brought into the health and safety executive, who do a great job of enforcement. But I don't think the education is there. And unfortunately, I say unfortunately, it's not done in schools and colleges. We're working with some of the universities to try and get safety on the, on the syllabus. Even in the apprenticeship scheme, there's very little to do with, with uh, control system safety. Um, so it's left to organisations, commercial organisations like ours. And the trouble is, you know, when you're a commercial organisation that's got a set of products behind and you're trying to explain to people that maybe they need to use this type of product, I'm not saying anoint the product, but this type of product, there's, there's a level of cynicism, of course there is. And I think I probably would, would say the same. So, so it, it is challenging. Um, you know, I think, I think we're breaking that down. My colleague's doing some presentations upstairs with some worked examples that you can see. But and one of the examples he uses, he uses a switch off a washing machine really, really simple, and said, so, says to a team of engineers, why can't I use this on my machine? You know, 90% of the people we have coming through our training centre don't know why they can't use that on a machine. So, yeah, 
that education piece, there is a big, big gap. And I'm, I'm only talking about safety because it's, it's the business that I'm in. Um, but, but even around automation, the automation platform, cybersecurity is another one. You know, cybersecurity is really going to blow up in a few organizations' face if we don't get to grips with that. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> before we go to um, Stuart, I'd just like to we go back a little bit onto the sort of more formal training. Um, I mean, are night schools dead? And do the formal sources of training keep up with technology, or are they lagging behind? Um, let's start with Mike. Um, I must admit, I don't know if night schools are dead or not, but um, <laughs> I, can, I could well imagine they probably are. Um, but one, one of the big challenges um, throughout all of the, the, the training uh, environment, skills and so on, is actually keeping the, the deliveries, delivery organisations up to date. Um, that, that is a big problem. And, and unfortunately, we as a country don't invest particularly well in places like our further education colleges. And, and I say that deliberately because universities are not too bad. But to be fair, we don't necessarily need lots and lots of graduates. What we really need is more and more technicians. So people that have got more practical skills, if you like, but are able to then adopt and use the technology. And, and I think our further education system, unfortunately, is being left behind. Now, there are places, you know, you are in the MTC's uh, training school, um, and um, we, we do train a significant number of apprentices uh, here um, and also on our site in, in Oxford. And, and those guys have the benefit of being able to access a lot of the equipment that we use on a, on a regular basis. So we can keep those guys very up to date. But we need to find ways of investing more in our further education colleges. And, and it's something that I believed in for, for many years. Um, we, we really ought to try and just put a few robots in every FE college around the country. Not necessarily because we want lots of robot engineers to come out of those colleges, but what it will do is it'll attract the school children to go to the college to do the technical courses because they see robots as interesting, as sexy, exciting. And we'll get them into the colleges and we'll then produce them out the colleges as engineers. And, and that's what we really need is more and more engineers coming out of our education system. It's, a, it's a good investment as well, isn't yeah. it, for, um, for the companies who might put those robots in because, you know, it's like the, the old CAD systems when they first came out, all the manufacturers were falling over themselves to uh, install their version of CAD into the further ed education colleges and universities. And when the graduates came out, they were familiar with that particular um, model and they would more than likely invest in it when they started their first job. Oh, I think that's very true. And I, I just want to add one thing, because I think this mm. is very important, is in terms of um, the gender balance, robots also attract the school girls. They're not, it's not as boring or as challenging necessarily as putting machine tools in front of them or electrical panels. Robots are something that all children are very keen to engage with and and if we can put robots into the colleges you'll get more girls as well as boys coming through the colleges doing engineering and that in itself will then uh, give us an opportunity to address the skills gaps that we've got brilliant 
Okay, Alan, um, we'll we'll have your comments on the training aspect, and then we'll we'll ask um, Stuart, um, sorry, Steve, to uh, to comment on the issues of um, installing uh, robots in further education colleges, and then you can go on and tell us a bit more about your your passion for automation. Sure. So, um, you know, our night school's dead. I think was the original question. I think you know, education needs to be delivered bite size, much more accessible when people want it. It's got to fit around the modern life. You know, I, I don't know about night schools. You know, LCA, we, we, we have a partnership with, um, with ePlan, which is the software platform that we use for all of our design, and we sponsor that to go into our local FE college. Um, you know, we're a small business, and, you know, it costs a lot of money for us, but we were finding that the apprentices that we got through the program that we take just didn't have a clue about the kind of the, the automated software that we needed to do electrical systems design. So, you know, how do, how do we do it? Well, we have to get involved, right? And industry leaders need to sort of pony up and say, well, it's no good just sitting here harping on saying, well, we can't, we, we, we can't get the people we need. Well, we've got to go and make them. Um, and that's tough because it's not easy and it costs money, but it's very short-termist to sit here and say, well, it's kind of somebody else's problem, government or local education and stuff like that. So you've either got to grow it yourself or you've got to sponsor it and you've just got to be out there and be an ambassador, got to do things like this. I, I think, you know, we're all sat around here trying to come up with a silver bullet. There isn't a silver bullet. We need everything. So we need, we need people taking robots into schools. We need people putting robots. We need people providing software platforms, all of the above, and just see what sticks, right? Because it, it will be different for different people. And it, I, I totally agree about the kind of gender balance, the ethnic balance, whatever. We need diversity of thought, diversity of ideas. That's what's going to bring exciting new innovation into the industry. If we can get those people excited, passionate about whether it's at school level, whether it's at you know FE level, or whether it's at university level, you know we're starting to see a shift now where we get a lot of people who are you know issuing degrees because because of the debt that they're worried about and will they get it paid back? They want to do higher level or apprenticeships, but you know, there isn't the kind of blurred line between, well, he's an engineer, he's a technician. It's much more of a spectrum now, uh, all the way down and all the way up, which I think that is probably a very different, it's very difficult for the kind of primary, secondary, tertiary education establishments to just think on that, you know, that they need to think on a spectrum rather than silos. Um, so, you know, I don't, I'm not sure I've answered the question there, but got excited about it but uh, <laughs> that's the best way <laughs> no you've added some uh, some good perspective there i think that, you know there's there's been some fantastic points raised and just sat here listening to it to, to it you know there's, there's just so much passion in the room you know that education of, of young people really is, is absolutely critical to the, the future success of our industry but i think there is a real opportunity there for us to innovate um, you know, we, 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 we find with a lot of um, training that we engage in, we'll have people that come to us, we'll deliver the formal training mechanisms. Uh, and six months later, it's, yeah, I, I need some support on that thing that you trained me on um, six months ago, because I've done so many things since then, but not what I was actually trained on, but I've completely forgotten it all. So we need to build in when we're, when we're actually developing work streams for people that if we're actually going to invest in the upgrading the skills, we need to make sure those skills are used um, immediately afterwards because the longer we leave it, the, 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 the more those, those new skills will, um, will dissipate away. But, you know, to, to go back to the point about um, 
making sure that we're, we're getting technology in front of young people. Um, Alan's absolutely right. There are, there, are, there are loads of different mechanisms that we can use. But again, this is where innovation has to play a really important role now. Many organizations out there, ourselves included, are really getting uh, involved with STEM activities. You know, and we're getting right down at, at secondary school level, sixth form level, to really get kids involved and get them excited and passionate about this technology. And, you know, we, what we found is many kids, particularly sort of in the, you know, if you go maybe 30 miles south of here, to them, a, a, a job in manufacturing, it's almost, I would never even have considered that. An engineering job to them equals automotive and, and, and actually more motorsport. You know, that's what they're really, really interested in because that's all they've been exposed to. So actually being able to really work with educational institutions to expose these people um, to, the, to the benefits and actually the excitement, I think, is probably the most important factor of all, is to show them how exciting technology and manufacturing is. I think it's absolutely key to getting that, that, that buy-in to really it's critical for the life of the future of the industry. Andy, I just wanted to touch on something Stuart mentioned earlier on as well, which was about the innovation um, for getting technology into, into plants. Uh, I was at a company recently, a big um, fast-moving consumer goods company, that, that had in effect rented the machine from the... It was a brand-new machine from an OEM, but they were in effect renting it, but they were renting it on the basis of however many bottles of this product they produced. That's what they paid for. You know, and it was based on that. So it was a completely different financial model. There was no capital investment involved for the for the end user. Um, the OEM got a brand new machine out of it. Um, so I, you know, I think from a from a an OEM point of view and an end user point of view, there's probably some thoughts around that whole financial. And there are a lot of organisations now, both in in our business, in automation business, as well as the banks that that are willing to finance even some areas like that. But um, but even around that piece of innovation, I think the other thing we've got to educate on is, is things like intellectual property. And I say that because as we talk about the factory of the future and the intelligence of these machines, that data is very, very valuable. But no one in industry that I come across seems to be taking it into account or even considering it, to be quite honest. I'll give you a classic example where I'm going to make these two companies up, but where it could be a real issue. But say I sold 10 new machines to Mondelez to produce some new chocolate. And I, as an OEM of those machines, was pulling data off those machines every day to see how those machines were running. And I could realize from that data that I could make that machine 20% more efficient. I could then go to Nestle and say, I'd like to sell you a production line, and I can guarantee you that it's going to be 20% more efficient than the one you've got down in Bourneville and Mondelez. And someone needs to get grip of that information because the value of that is... It, it's astronomical. But no one, in, in specifications, if you're involved in purchasing as an end user now, do you have in your specification at the moment something around who owns that intellectual property? I don't know. And, and equally, if you're an OEM, what are you putting in place? So I think that's a whole subject around the whole automation. Yes, yes. I mean, your, your point about different methods of finance is, is a very good one, actually. And, um, you know, it's what Rolls-Royce do, isn't it? To sell aircraft engines, they sell on air miles rather than um, yeah. Actually, the capital cost. I've seen the same model in um, uh, lifting cranes on on dock dock sides, and um, even materials testing equipment has been uh, has been explored. So, so that is an increasingly 
if not common, it's coming. It's becoming more common um, as a method. Yeah. yeah. I think what's uh, what's quite interesting though is whilst you know there are several high-profile um, examples of where that kind of methodology has been used. You know, if you start talking to the likes of Make UK and other trade organisations, it is very very clear that in mainstream manufacturing there is a complete lack of awareness that these financial mechanisms actually exist, you know, that you can actually, instead of going out and buying a robot for a lump sum, you can actually put it into your operational expenditure, pay a monthly fee, and five years later upgrade it for a brand new one. Um, you know, that's kind of where I think in a lot of cases, and I stress that because it's not all, it's not right for every scenario, but in a lot of cases is where we can really start to accelerate robot adoption in the UK. Just, just to add to that point, is it, it changes the dynamics because a lot of people, when they buy on capex, are looking at a one-year return on investment. Whereas if you lease it or you do it on a servitization type basis, you'll spread that over something like five years. And, and we already do that with things like machine tools and forklift trucks and cars. So there's no reason why we shouldn't do it with, with robots and automation. But if you do that, in a lot of cases... The day you turn that machine on, you get cash into the business because the cost of the lease is actually less than the savings you're going to make from uh, the return that the machine's going to provide. And, and it, at that point, it's almost a no-brainer. It, it, it really is. You, why wouldn't you do it? Um, so Stuart's right. You know, these guys are right. We need to change the way we approach our investment. Um, and if we do that, we can we could change the the UK market significantly. Come in, you know, why don't we do it? Because it's scary, right? And uh, you know, small businesses, risk taking, appetite, culture. Those are the things that we need to kind of change. Perhaps a few minds. You know, I, I hadn't even thought of the kind of financial modelling. You know, we, we said at the start of this that you know we are probably world leader in financial services. Yet, how yes. do we bring those financial services down to SMEs? so that they can adopt technology, robots, automation through their processes. Um, I, I think that, that's got some legs that needs to kind of be, be talked about. Someone mentioned earlier grants. I've tried to get a grant. It's not easy. Um, you know, I, I gave up and, and went a, a commercial model because it's very difficult. So we do need to kind of, we need to engage with government, whether that's regional sort of government or or national government about how we access these these programs and things like that because they don't make it easy, you know, other than the press release. But you know, I think I think we do need to kind of focus on that too. Okay, it's uh, it's time to look at some questions. Then I think um, we have actually two from SMEs that have come in on the WhatsApp channel, which are which are both very relevant to what we've been discussing. Um, first one says. As an SME manufacturer with no experience in robotics, what would you recommend as our first steps into adoption? Who do we engage with? And the second one says, many SMEs and micro companies can offer unique insights into automation, but struggle to break into larger organizations. How could the MTC, or I guess anyone else, assist with this? Um, well, Mike's obviously got an, a, a view on both of those, so I'll start at the far end and finish with Mark. Right. With, with Mike. Yeah. Um, thanks. So, um, so the, the first the first question was was just remind me again, Andy. Sorry. Yeah. Um, what are my first steps 
into okay. adoption of robotics. So, so de definitely go for the for the easy win, the low hanging fruit, and get some success in your business. I think that too many times people look at the, the, the most difficult part of their business and go, right, we need to automate that. It's usually that we were talking about this in the lobby, the difficult end of the business. Um, also, try and get as much variability out of your processes before you go into the automation piece, because the last thing you need to be presenting a robot is something that's that's really odd. Um, although they are very, very good, um, uh, you, you need it to be a, to, to be a success. Uh, and also, obviously, get involved with every stakeholder in the business. You know, whether it be the employee groups, the union, whatever it might be, and make sure you've got everyone on side and communicate the reason why you're investing in this in this automation and this technology because unfortunately people look at robots and think that's going to take all the jobs away you know it might save the company and might save uh, all the jobs and ultimately if you invest and you get more profitable hopefully the company will continue to reinvest so um i think for me it's that communication piece and and pick a sensible project right at the very beginning that you great answer you're not going to Stuart. yeah i think david's bang on really i think the key to it all really is having a clear technology strategy you know if you're going to look at deploying um, you know, this kind of technology, it, it, it's not a small investment, but, you know, start with something simple to make sure that the process that sits behind it is right because you don't want to be automating a bad process because you're just setting yourself up for failure from the very start. But from a strategic perspective, what's absolutely vital is that you start to think about how are people going to interact with this automated solution. So absolutely correct what David says. We're not here to take jobs away. We're here to make jobs better. So if we can automate that process, there is still going to be a level of human intervention, whether that's maintenance, whether it's actual operation, when we start to talk about collaborative automation. Um, but you know, there will always be that. But it's about getting the repetitive nature of those tasks automated to free up that human capital to be able to deliver more value elsewhere in the business. Thank you. Alan? Yeah, I totally agree with the guys here. I mean, sort of, we're all on the same team, really, um, on this panel. But I guess, how did, how did we look at it at LCA? So we, you know, as an SME, uh, we, we looked at this kind of classic ESOR, eliminate, standardize, organize, automate, robotize, right? That's the spectrum that you need to move down. So, you know, the best ROI process that you do is going to be the one you eliminate. Um, so my FP tells me, right? So that's the way you've got to look at it. Get rid of the stuff that you shouldn't be doing, standardize, organize, then you start to automate. And, uh, you know, just to, just to echo uh, what the guy said here, it's about bringing the team with you. It's about engagement, employee engagement. You really do need to find a champion in your business, someone you can send off out, do some learning, go and see what's going on in the industry go visit other, other manufacturers, get them to bring back. They're the advocate. They need to bring it in. And my advice would be find the person who really doesn't like it the most and make them do it because they'll become your advocate. Um, and if you can change their mind, you can pretty much change the whole workforce's mind. So that's what I would do. You know, Look at your processes, make sure your processes are right first, and then manage that change. Engage with the stakeholders across the business and uh, just drive it through. Thank you. Mike. I, I, well, I'm, I'm going to agree with everything that's been said, but I do want to add one thing, I suppose, that um, particularly if you've never done it before, it's, it's worth getting some independent advice. And I'm not here to sell MTC, but that's part of what MTC is about. 
MPC and our colleagues in the, the rest of the high value manufacturing catapult, we're there to provide help and support to industry. And part of that is providing technology and vendor agnostic advice. So we have been into companies where they've said, we want to use robots, but we're not quite sure what to do. And we, we walked in and said, well, actually, guys, you really need to do a few other steps before you start looking at the robots. Because if the factory, you know, I'm not talking about anybody here, obviously, but if the factory is a mess, put automation in, all you're going to do is make the mess bigger and faster. So do some steps. Sometimes you need to do some steps first. Sometimes a robot isn't the right answer. Sometimes there are even simpler solutions to automate a particular process. So, so ask for that independent advice. And, and also, you know, people like me, you know, I said at the beginning, I've been doing this for 40 years. Well, over 40 years, people like me have made lots of mistakes. And, um, you know, hopefully we've learned from them, but we can help you avoid those same mistakes. Um, I think the, the other point about um, helping some of the smaller niche businesses, that is part of what we're trying to do. So where technology is being developed or businesses have got, got uh, technologies that they want to sell into the market, I do understand it's very difficult, particularly when you're approaching some of the large enterprises, you know, the likes of Airbus and Rolls-Royce, they're, they're not going to buy from small companies because for them it's too risky. But again, that's what the catapult's there to do is to help those smaller businesses prove their product, introduce it onto pro projects to prove that it does do the job. And, and help them get those doors open. Because ultimately, what we're really trying to do is to help the UK industry as a whole become more successful. It's not just the manufacturers, it's also the suppliers to those manufacturers. It's the systems integrators. We, we want all of UK industry to be applying more automation, but we need to help the systems integrators grow and become more successful to deliver the solutions that the rest of industry needs. So we're very keen on helping all the groups in that supply chain to, to get better at it. So when they walk out today, where should they go on the day? I mean, before they leave, obviously. Well, if, if anybody's interested, leave a card and okay. we will come back to you. We have teams of people that are focused to work with the SME organisations. We also have teams focused on particular industry sectors. But there are people in here that are, their, their role in life is to engage with the SME businesses, to have those conversations, to figure out what it is they need and how best we can help. So please leave some contact details and, and I'll make sure that somebody gets in touch. Just building on that, Mike, as well, it's a, you know, we've all seen this massive advent of cobots being put on the shop floor and the cobot's going to be the saviour of ev everything. Um, my, my experience when I've walked around a lot of customer sites is where cobots co have been used. There's been some very, very good use of cobots. Um, some of them are either fully guarded because the process wasn't suitable for a cobot because they didn't take the upfront advice. They just went and bought in effect. The same as you might buy something from Amazon, they bought a cobot and put it on the shop floor. So now it's fully guarded. The difficulty is that it's now running at about 10% of the speed of an industrial robot that could, could, could do the same job. Or, or actually, it's just not suitable for the use. And again, when we were talking very early on about, you know, we, we want that first project to be a success, even for something, I'm going to say, as relatively simple as a cobot, um, just make sure you seek the advice. And what, again, what a lot of people don't realize is that even though a, a cobot has low energy, 
there's still uh, standards that, that relate to pressure detection. And, you know, if you've got a cobalt, even if it's running quite, quite slow and it, it's carrying a cardboard box in the corner of a cardboard box in the temple, for example, it could still be quite a dangerous piece of equipment. So um, just be aware of that, with, with, I think, the way that people are going. Thank you. Um, right. Uh, if anyone has any questions they want to put their hand up for, um, we can take those. We are into our time added on, so um, so we need to be quite quick. I have got a couple of remaining questions on the WhatsApp, so I can take those unless anyone has any burning issues and wants to give Aaron a bit of exercise with his microphone. But it seems not. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take two questions. They're not really related, but uh, but I will... I will ask the two of them and then ask everybody to give a comment, and that will be our last question. So, um, first one says, "Is it Although it is absolutely necessary to get young people into manufacturing and engineering, um, this is a long-term strategy, and there is an urgent need to reskill those already in engineering. How can this be achieved to fill the problem today?" And the second question um, is. Potentially a little bit controversial. Over 80% of UK manufacturers are SMEs. We agree with that, with less than 20 employees. Surely we need an approach tailored to the unusually long tail of the UK supply chain based around incremental change, e.g. upgrading legacy equipment rather than revolutionary greenfield approaches. Who fancies that one? Um, well, I'm happy to take that one, okay. Andy. So, and I, I completely agree on both points. Um, we do need to upskill the existing workforce. Um, and that goes back to the point we were making earlier. We do need to find ways of delivering training in a way that's accessible, particularly to the SMEs, particularly to people that are already working in those businesses. And I think that's something that the education organizations need to take on. In terms of um, helping existing businesses uh, upgrade their facilities, there is a reasonable amount of help out there. It may not be readily accessible. Made Smarter, for example, is a program that will provide some support and will give uh, a direction of travel, if you like, to SMEs in terms of adopting general digital technologies. The only, the only concern I have, well, I have two concerns about Made Smarter. One is it's not across the whole country. So it's, it's, it's in the West Midlands, um, it's in the Northwest, it's in Yorkshire and Humber, it's in the East Midlands, and it's being run in part of the Southeast, and it's also being run in part of the Northeast. But there are lots of the country where it doesn't yet um, cover. And the other problem I have with is it, it will help on the first step. It'll help identify what the journey might be, but it'll only really help on the first step. And what we need to find is ways of helping businesses on steps two, three, four, and so on. It's very important that once we get them started on this journey, we keep them going. All of the catapult organizations do have funding to help SMEs in particular. Um, they still have to pay something, but they don't pay all of the charges associated with the support. So that there is steps out there to help. And, and to be honest, it's really about asking. 
it's very difficult for people like us to find the businesses that want the assistance. Because as you say, there's thousands of them out there. Hmm. But if people are interested, please just put your hands up. Come and ask. Because we stand ready to help. Okay, well, we've turned yellow, so if you could, your answers can be quite quick, then that would be appreciated. I'll, uh, I'll just go with, you know, echoing what Mike said there, you know, just start small and just do it. That's it. Okay, yeah, I perfect. Think, you know, if I tackle the, uh, the supply chain question as briefly as I can, uh, I think it, it all boils down to strategy. You know, we've got to actually identify it, and it isn't just about deploying big robots to every problem. It's about identifying which problems that you currently have are going to have the biggest impact and going from there. Yeah, Thank you. For, for me, it's actually a lot of information that you can get from, from the manufacturers and, and suppliers of the equipment as well. And, you know, they've got technical departments and people, application engineering teams that can help maybe suggest, suggest solutions forward. Yes, it might be based on a particular technology, but yeah, I'd like to think that we're all intelligent enough to read through the commercially bit and see the technology that's behind it. Yeah, that's, that's a perfect answer. And um, it just goes for me to say, really, that um, you know, we've got four excellent examples of people who are passionate and dedicated um, and work for specific organizations and private companies. Um, I guess the question is whether there are enough companies who are that dedicated. Let's hope there are, because a lot of the responsibility is coming towards those companies. Um, just quickly then, thank you very much, and we'd appreciate it if you uh, show your appreciation in the usual way for our panel. Thank you for listening to Talking Industry. Stay tuned across all podcast apps, follow us on social, subscribe to our newsletters, and keep up to date at talkingindustry.org.